You're listening to the Collective Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.co.za. Good morning, Collective Church. It's such a privilege to be able to speak this morning. As I speak, there's a big storm rolling in over our heads. So if you hear these big, loud bangs, it's just the Lord backing my preach. Um, it's just a privilege to speak on the back of two weeks. Um, we've heard from Vida speaking on the life flow of revival, and it's just stirred up so much hunger in my heart. And it's actually been such a privilege leading worship in our space these last couple of weeks, just seeing the pull on heaven from, from people's hearts. It, it's, it's really just been so encouraging. Um, and in, in Vida's preach, she referenced the book um, Heavenly Man, and if you haven't read that book, I would really encourage you to read it. It changed um, Ma and Janine's lives 14 years ago when you read it. It really did. It had such an, a profound impact on us. And I've actually began, um, begun reading the book to my boys before bed. And, you know, they could be running around crazy and I could just get them to settle and come, let's listen. And as I start reading, they just, there's just this awe as they listen to this man's testimony about, I guess it's just a story about a, a life of a man who, who pursued God with all he was. And um, it just, it's a, such a good reminder that t- our testimonies are powerful. Our testimonies carry power. And to sum up the last two weeks, as we've heard Vida so wonderfully preach, I would sum up revival as it's a new beginning of a life lived in obedience to God. It's an awakening of a new beginning in a life lived in obedience to God. My preach today is going to be called Walking in the Ways of Jesus. And I want to start by saying this, that we are not wanderers, we are not lost, we have a God-given purpose, and He has a dream and a plan for our lives. And I'm going to start us off in Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20. It says, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples this question, what are the people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do you believe that I am? They answered, some are convinced that you are John the baptizer. Others say you are Elijah, reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, but you, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah. For you didn't discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. And the power of death will not be able to overcome it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? What we believe about God and how we think about him and what we trust about him, these are the most important issues we will ever face in our lives. Indeed, all our lives, all our spirituality is derived from this foundation. You are are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. On this foundation, he builds his church and hell has no hope of prevailing against his bride. The foundation for Christian faith is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus is where our faith begins and everything from that point 
is built upon that foundation. He doesn't build his church on our strategies or our best laid out plans. He doesn't build his church on our choice of muffins. He doesn't build our church on our best efforts. He doesn't build the church on our greatest and perfect behavior. And those things are good. I mean, who doesn't enjoy a delicious muffin? But everything is built upon this revelation. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now I'm going to unpack the very truth that Jesus said is not revealed by man, it's revealed by God. But remember, when Jesus spoke this, he hadn't experienced the death and resurrection. And Ephesians 3 verse 13 says, Through Jesus, he made plain things that were hidden for ages. That's where we're living. Everything is out in the open. There's no more secrets. And so I'm going to unpack this revelation today because just by Jesus' response, I think it's enough for us to say, well, let's unpack this. What does that mean? You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to break it into two thoughts. Messiah and Son of the living God. I'm going to have a quick history lesson. Um, what does it mean that he's the Messiah? Well, simply it means he's anointed, ordained, and he's the savior of the world. The whole Old Testament is one big anticipation story that leads us to Jesus. If I had to bring every single person from the Old Testament and say, point to the reason for your life. Point to the end, the point to the point of your life that all points at Jesus. That was the point of my life. And understand when Jesus was speaking to Peter, at that time, the people of God had been waiting for this Messiah since Genesis. They'd been waiting. And in Genesis, we see Adam and Eve living in this perfect garden full of the goodness of God. And in that garden is a forbidden tree. And there's a snake in this garden who's, who tells a different story. He doesn't recognize God as his king. And he convinces Adam and Eve, hey, if you eat from this tree, you can become like God. And Adam and Eve fall for it. And they take a bite. And thus enters evil and death. And the goodness of God in that land is lost. Why the talking snake? Who knows? But what we do know is it's a creature who is in rebellion against God. And he, he's not only in rebellion, he wants to bring other people into doubt, into doubting God's goodness. He wants to bring other people into this path of evil and in this, into this path of death. Whatever the snake is, it represents the source of evil that pervades our lives. In the middle of all this going on in the garden, God says someone is going to come in the future, the son of Eve, who will crush the serpent's head and be bitten by the snake. Someone's going to come, the son of Eve, who's going to crush the source of evil at its head, but he's going to be bitten on the heel. So it's a bit of a weird promise. It's like, okay, yay, but oh, he gets bitten. And it's sort of left there in Genesis 3. And we, we move along with the story, and thus enters Abraham. And Abraham's he's promised through your lineage, the, the goodness of God is going to be restored to the nations of the earth. And one of Abraham's great-grandson, known as Judah, he receives a promise that the king is going to come from his line. 
And this king will bring peace. And people will follow this king. And so the next king we see from Judah is King David. Everyone loves King David. He's written all these songs. He's fought the bears and the wolves. He's slain the giants. He's a hero. But unfortunately, he's human. And he's infected by the same snake bite. And we think all is lost. Okay, so this wasn't the king. But alas, God makes a promise to David, from your line will be this king. And then we see David's sons. Each one of David's sons fall victim to the same snake bite. They fall into lust, into power, um, into control, and they drive the nation of Israel into the ground, and Babylon takes them out. And it seems this whole plan is lost. And we enter some dark days in, our, in, in the history of God's people, except for these few crazy people known as the prophets, who start reminding people of the promise that he is going to come. He's going to come and destroy evil and restore the garden. One prophet in particular is Isaiah. And he tells us more about why this king is bitten in Genesis 3. That weird promise of crushing their serpent's head, but then still being bitten. Isaiah unpacks the meaning of this. And he says, this promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. Isaiah 53 verse 12, it kills him. But all of a sudden, he comes back. And Isaiah says, because he suffered this wound and he's come back, he can now be the source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends and there's still no promised snake crusher king. And we see the New Testament start. And we see it starts with the lineage of Jesus showing us that Jesus is not some random guy who just appears. He's come to fulfill all these ancient promises of this promised king who's coming. And we see Jesus walking around the earth, telling people, confronting this evil that the snake has caused and, and releasing healing and releasing forgiveness. And people start talking, oh, this could be the Messiah. This could be the king we have been waiting for. And Jesus tells his closest friends he says, I am going to become king and I'm going to reign in peace, but I'm going to take on humanity's evil into myself. I'm going to take on this fatal snake bite wound. And he does and he dies. And it seems the story ends again. Oh, well, so much for that idea. But three days later, he rises in the power of the Holy Spirit and he rises in power over evil and over death. And then the rest of the New Testament's claim is that this Jesus' power through the Holy Spirit is available to us. And we too can confront the effects of evil, not in just our lives, but in the, the lives of those around us. Death did not have the final say. The snake was overcome. He crushed evil at its source. So Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are that Messiah. That Messiah that the history of mankind have been waiting for. Our snake crusher king. Which leads me to my next point. He's the son of the living God. He's the Messiah and the son of the living God. And I'm going to break this part of Peter's revelation into two parts. Son of the living God. Jesus is an exact representation of the nature of God. And Jesus is a pattern for our lives to follow. 
So what does it mean that he's an exact representation of our lives? I'm going to read off three scriptures quickly. Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 3 says, Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another, as we've just, I've just explained. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us in the open, in the language of his son. He speaks to us in the, in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything, for through him God created all things. The son, Jesus, is, a, is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. This is from the Passion Translation. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sin. And then he took a seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. We could just shut this down right now and go home. I mean, that is powerful. That's Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, here's the divine portraits, the true likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn heir of all creation. Through the Son, everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it was all created through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made and now everything finds completion in him. One more scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them and he has trusted that same message of reconciliation to us. What's clear in these scriptures is Jesus wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't just a man with a divine edge. He was the exact representation of God. I heard this quote this week. The guy said, Jesus is what God has to say. So he showed, to, he showed all of us what moved the Father's heart. He showed all of us what the Father was like. If you are confused today about the nature of God, can I encourage you to go and read about Jesus? Not the news, not popular opinion, not movies. Open your Bibles, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus. That is what the Father is like. He is the exact representation, the divine portrait. Jesus is the meeting place between God and humanity. What does that mean? Under the old covenant, the temple was the meeting place between a holy God and sinners who would come in. And what would happen in that temple is atonement for sin. But praise Jesus, we live on this side of the cross. We see the heart of the Father to reconcile him to himself through Jesus. Jesus pays for our sin thus becoming the meeting place between the Father and us. Jesus becomes the temple. He becomes the meeting place between humanity and the Father. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sin, Hebrews 1. Through Jesus alone are we reconciled to the family of God. Jesus is an exact representation of God, a divine portrait. So, 
just to keep us on track here, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God, Jesus is an exact representation, as I've explained. And now I'm going to explain Jesus is a pattern for our lives to follow. You know, Peter calling out to Jesus and saying, you're the son of the living God. I liken it to one of those, you just like your old man moments, you know. As parents, we often experience, like if I'm sitting with my mom, she'll say, oh, when Seth does that, it just reminds me of you. And, or she'll go to, go to Jackson Oliver and say, you know, hey, when you do that, that's what your dad did. And there's just this mutual, there's this mutual pride that sits in your heart. You're like, yeah, he's just like me. Or yeah, I'm just like my dad. Peter was... He caught a glimpse of this relationship, this intimate relationship, this intimate honor between you, the son of the living God. He, he had a snapshot of this relationship that Jesus had with the father. And Jesus, his mandate or his passion as, as an exact representation was to reveal the heart of the father through intimacy with him. He modeled the life for us. And he, he reconciles us to that same relationships and then passes on that same pattern of living to us. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. He was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 3 says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, Jesus. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it says his delight was in the fear of the Lord. He did not make judgments by what his eyes saw and he did not make decisions by what his ears heard. Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 3. Out of all the spirits you can choose to delight in, Jesus, you choose the fear of the Lord. Interesting. But it wasn't a fear that drove him away. And it's not a fear that perfect love costs out. Like we often say perfect love costs out all fear. It's not that type of fear that keeps us hiding under our beds. It's a fear that tethered him to the Father. It's a fear that sounded like this. In John 5 verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what I see the Father doing. What the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus delighted and was tethered to the Father through the fear of the Lord. In the movie Lion King, the opening scene. If you haven't seen it, you've had 20 odd years to watch it. So here comes a spoiler. The opening scene, Mufasa is walking with his, his, his soon-to-be king son, Simba. And he's walking through the pride lands. And he says, Simba, everything the light touches is your kingdom. And Simba says, but what about those shadowy parts, that forbidden tree? Mufasa says, no, Simba, do not go there. Because in those shadowy parts, we know there's an army of hyenas who tell a different story, who don't see me as their king. There's a, there's a different kingdom and operation there. They want to devour you, Simba. And it's clear that that's what their goal was. And Simba, with a bit of entitlement and confidence, says, yeah, but uh, I'm a king and kings can do what they want and go wherever they please, right? And Mufasa looks at him and says, Simba, 
There's more to being king than doing what you want. Paul, in the scripture, called himself a bond slave to Christ. In Galatians 5 verse 13, it says, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Those shadowy parts, that forbidden tree, those are not geographical locations. They're not like the bad, stay away from the bad places. That's not what those shadowy parts are. They are lies that we can sometimes partner with. And if we spend too much time in those lies, we begin to legitimize those lies in our own lives. Lies like, God's not that good. He's going to let you down. Hey, you clever, make your own plan. Hey, you're free. Your will be done, not his. Bow to our wisdom, not his. Jesus' delight as a son and as a pattern for us to follow was in the fear of the Lord and not in the fear of man. It says he didn't judge by what his eyes saw and he didn't make decisions by what his ears heard. Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 3. How many of us are living in and partnering with those, that fear where we are making judgments with what we're seeing and we're running around making these big decisions by what our ears are hearing? We're partnering with the shadows. We're legitimizing lies. Sometimes our perceptions that we form can become our reality, right? Those perceptions, those lies, we legitimize them and they become our reality. Negativity starts to fuel us. We wonder why we feel disconnected. Look at the moment. Look at the world. It's crazy times at the moment. Everyone's declaring death and destruction and But look at Jesus, look at his time. What people called the cross became his throne. What people called death became his exaltation. Death does not have the final say in the light. Negativity is not wisdom in the light. Revival that we are all speaking of and we are all feeling. Revival is not a far off lofty concept. The point of revival is you and me being revived, awoken to the revelation of who he is. He is asking you, who do you say I am? Amongst everything you are in the swirling of this world, who do you say I am? And why? Why is he asking us so that we can become so spiritually strong and so confident within our souls that we can live independent of him? No, the exact opposite. The more we know who he is, the more we see who we are. We see our purpose. We see his plan for our lives. Fear of the Lord is living tethered to him and receiving his nature revealed to us so that we can trust our entire beings into his hands. 
so that every facet of our lives, every decision, big or small, can speak of, highlight, and point to his goodness. I want my entire life to be a praise of his name. I think, think of the, the car that I drive. It has a testimony. The wife that I get to share my life with, it has a testimony. My child who experienced one of the worst illnesses, him being here today is a testimony. Me being here today is a testimony. Our entire lives, if we allow it, can be testimonies that point to his goodness. He is a living God. He is not a disconnected dead God. And if you are living and you are partnering with those lies and you have, you have legitimized those lies, I implore you to repent and turn your thoughts and minds back to Christ. And find freedom. Freedom is not an independence. It's in a life laid down and in surrender to the Father. It's the same freedom that we see in Jesus when he says, you are not taking my life from me. I lay it down free. John 10 verse 18. From Peter's revelation of who Jesus is, Jesus tells Peter, you've got the keys of revival to fulfill the mandates of the call on your life. What does heaven look like? Well, you've got the authority to release it on heaven. What does heaven forbid? You've got the authority to forbid it on earth. We are called to be imitators of Christ. We have been entrusted with the same message of reconciliation. But you cannot do that and you cannot see it unless we lay down our popular opinions. We lay down our fear-mongering. We realize the lies that we've legitimized. We lay this all down. We lay down these questions of what do I want? What do I prefer? What pleases me? In the greatest scheme of things, what we want does not bring revival. What we, Jesus doesn't build his church and Jesus cannot bring, um, we don't find satisfaction in those questions. Only Jesus does. I read this quote today. Um, it says, God wants, to be his God wants man to be his creature. More than that, he wants him to be his partner. God wants light, not darkness. He wants cosmos, not chaos. He wants peace, not disorder. He wants man to administer and to receive justice rather to, than to inflict and to suffer injustice. He wants man to live according to his spirit rather than according to his flesh. He wants man bound and pledged to him rather than to any other authority. God wants man to live and not die. We become partners with Jesus when we pick up the keys of heaven that Jesus won for us and we release heaven on earth. We are not free until we realize our need for him and that we can echo with Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the void that I've been waiting for for all my life. You are the Messiah, the one that came to save and 
Release these keys to us for all those who believe. And you are the living God. You came as, you are now my, you are the temple, the meeting place. You reconciled me and you've given me a pattern in life to follow. You are Jesus, Messiah, the son of the living God. And I pray, if you're hearing this and you are a believer, I pray that the dead things in your life would come to life. And that you would realize the authority that you carry. And that you would stop legitimizing lies that are masked as wisdom. And if you don't believe, and if, you do, and if none of this makes sense to me, I want to encourage you to be reconciled. I want to encourage you to talk to someone and ask them what it means to be reconciled and ask them to pray for you. That's me. And um, I just want to pray for us um, as I close this. And yeah, I just, I just really want to, I just really, as I've been, sharing this and as I've been praying this week um, as I said I think there some of us can fall into this numbness where we believe that we're just wondering we're just surviving we have no purpose and and, and I want to end with how I started you, you are not wondering you are not lost we have a father in heaven who loved us before we could even say the words I love you he pursued us he made way for us to live a life and to walk in his ways. He made it available to us. And so I just want to pray. Father, I pray that every word that I've spoken this morning takes root and bears fruit in every life that is listening this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.co.za.